check, check. Here we are. Hey, everybody. How we doing? All right. So good to see everybody here. Happy Easter. Let's try this. He is risen. All right. Good. Some of you grew up in church. Good. Yeah. Others of you were like, what just happened? We'll let those folks get in on here. So it's been a couple weeks since I taught up here. Uh, you heard from Wesley and Josh last couple weeks. Both had just deep portions of scripture to cover and both did just an awesome job, right? Were you all blessed by those two? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's been a couple weeks, so I'm fired up. I'm ready to preach. I feel like I go, as Carrie Pitt told me, I could go bear hunting with a switch. I'm like, whatever the saying is. I'm ready. Let's jump in. Okay, so now there's a, there's a lot of negative Christians out there, right? That maybe they wouldn't say it out loud, maybe they would, but they believe that God kind of wants you to suffer, right? Like that's how you honor God most, by just kind of being miserable, uh, or generally irritated or angry, right? Have you met these folks? Yeah. Maybe some of you have friends or relatives like this. Maybe some of you are sitting beside them. I don't know. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Um, we believe that that is the exact wrong way to live your life in honor God. So Jesus himself said, no, 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 that's the devil. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have what? Out loud. Life. Right. And he went on, right, beyond that, and he said, and even abundant life, a good life, a very full life. That's, so that's the goal. The goal is to get the areas of your life, your marriage, your emotions, your, your finances, your mind, your, your body, your purpose, your calling to those places that God intended them to be. That is word, that's what the word abundant life means. It's zoe in the Greek. It means for you to literally come alive in the name of Jesus. He wants that to happen. But there's an issue. And it's something that every person that considers following Jesus has to face. And that is that what Jesus offers us is not something when you first look at it, you say, well, that looks like the best thing for me. Why? Because Jesus' way is full of paradoxes. A paradox is, and here's a definition, a seemingly absurd statement that seems to go against common sense but is still true. So for instance, there's several of them in Scripture. Given it shall be given to you. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We will become wise by becoming fools for Christ. In our weakness he is made strong. Those are just a few that are in Scripture. Those statements all seem absurd on the front end but they are actually true in the kingdom of God. Now this Easter, I'm not going to talk very long, but what I want to do is encourage you to consider this paradox. And I'll show it to you in Mark chapter 8. And it simply says this. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find it. So hang on to your life, you'll lose it. Give up your life, you'll find it. Well, that's quite a paradox, isn't it? Right? That's not how people generally live. 
this is very countercultural because we live in a culture in a generation that believes in self-preservation. So you've got to stand up for yourself. Watch out for number one. And self-promotion, right? People are thinking about their own brand, how they look, how they look on social media, how many followers they have, how many, you know, maybe you need to stop thinking about how many followers you have. Think about who you're following, right? Also, self-indulging. I mean, if I want it, I deserve it. I'm going to have it. I'm going to experience it. I'll eat it, smoke it, whatever. It was Sigmund Freud that actually believed that the goal of life was pleasure. The goal of life is not pleasure. The goal of life is purpose. You're here to make a difference in this life. So the culture is lying to us. And by the way, I can prove it. Because if you're someone who has tried these things, like I have, self-indulging, self-preservation, self-promotion, has any of it ultimately brought you any life? No. No. The answer is no. And that's why I want you to consider this simple paradox. So let me show it to you kind of in the larger context. Again, Mark chapter 8. What's going on here is Jesus takes his disciples to this area called Caesarea Philippi. Galilee was north of Jerusalem. Caesarea Philippi was north of that. And then going there was like going to downtown Las Vegas or Bourbon Street or Times Square. It was like going to the place where the world was represented the most. Okay. It was this place where folks could kind of easily be pulled into the culture's idea of happiness. And he took them in the middle of everything that they thought they wanted, and he asked them this question, Mark 8, 27. Who do people say that I am? And that's the question in front of all of us. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. So there's a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is. Jesus goes on. Then he asks them, but who do you say I am? And Peter actually answers correctly. Peter replied, you are the Christ. Now that word may not mean as much to you as it did to them. Because the word Christ literally means the anointed one to break the yoke of bondage. So in other words, it's a power word. So we say Jesus Christ as if Christ was his last name, right? Right. You know his mom, Mary Christ, and his dad, Joseph Christ. That, that isn't it. Christ was his title. Christ describes what he did. It was an action. You are the Christ, the Messiah. You have the power to break the yoke of bondage. Verse 30. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He don't tell anybody about the Christ stuff yet. I'm holding that off to a little bit later. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. That's not what the disciples wanted to hear. It's not what... That's not the Jesus Peter signed up for. Right? The disciples thought that Jesus was going to be powerful enough to overthrow the Roman government because they were tired of being oppressed in their land of, uh, by this outside nation. So they thought they were basically posturing to be like vice presidents in Jesus' cabinet. In an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly one. So Peter takes Jesus aside and he says this. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. So he's like, I don't think so. That's not the Jesus I signed up to follow. Jesus turned around, looked at the disciples, which is just interesting, and then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You never want to hear Jesus say that to you, by the way. Nope. Not good. And I love this last line. Just absorb this. He said, 
You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You're seeing everything through the lens of culture, not the kingdom of God. You're seeing it through the lens of earth. That's where we become self-promoting, self-indulging, self-preserving. That's where we get it wrong. So Jesus gathers the disciples and crowds, says, everybody, come on in, take a knee. And he says, okay, I think there's some confusion about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let me just explain it to you all. And maybe, maybe there might even be some confusion in this room today about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So Jesus explains it. And here's a paradox. It's going to sound horrible. All right? But it's the very thing that can bring you life. He says this. If any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way. It's not about you. It's not about self-preservation, self-indulging, or self-promotion. And take up your cross and follow me. And that to us, that phrase, take up your cross, that maybe doesn't have the punch that it would have had back then. Because the cross to us is jewelry. Right? The cross to us is a symbol on a church. That's not what it was to them. To them it was an execution method. So it'd be like wearing an electric chair around your neck. To take up your cross meant you're going to die. Jesus says, I need you to die. Deny yourself and die. That's what it means to follow me. And then here's the paradox. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find it. Then he says it this way. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? In the end, what will it matter? What will matter is your soul, Jesus says. Is anything worth more than your soul, he says. When you face God in the end, what would you give in exchange for your soul back? And the answer is anything, everything. You'd give everything. And so basically he says, then why not give everything now? And then he says this. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. People like to say, well, my faith is private. Not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we go public with our faith, right? That we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're actually excited and proud to be followers of Jesus. That'd be like me, every time I leave my house, I take off my wedding ring. You know, Kate would be like, what you doing? <laughs> well, I can't let people know we're married. <laughs> I might see a pretty lady out there, I don't know. <laughs> Haven't run that one by her, but um, <laughs> pretty confident the couch would probably be my permanent sleeping quarters if I tried that. Anyway, the point is, God wants the best for us and knows the best way for us to get there. So here we see the way to abundant life. And this is the resurrection paradox, that on the other side of death to self is real full life. You cannot have a resurrection life without a death. So how do we do it? How do we die to live? Let me give you three ways very quickly. The first one, if you're taking notes, so literally you have to die to self. So Paul talks about this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And by the way, he's writing this while he's alive, obviously. So we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about the death of the self. 
is that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What's that mean? That means if you really want to live well, you want to have a resurrected kind of life, you really want to experience the best that God has for you, you need to have moments, like I try to do every day, where you just go to God in prayer and say, God, you can have me. You can have me. Now, that's a prayer you can pray when you get saved. But actually, I actually try to pray this every day. I want to encourage you all to try it. Try this for a week. Practice these dying exercises. It might just be the best week of your life. What I try to do every day is stop and focus on the Lord and say, Lord, all over again, I choose to serve you. I give you me. I don't belong to me. I belong to you. I've been bought with a price. That's, that's 1 Corinthians 6. Therefore, I will honor you with my life which means you get to tell me what to do. And I believe that your agenda for my life is a whole lot better than mine anyways. So I'm giving you my life. And then I just try to start at the top of my head, go to the bottom of my feet. The Bible says you offer your body as a living sacrifice, right? So I just try to kill, kill it off. So I kill off my natural mind. So here's what it looks like. So I say, Lord, today I give you my mind. Today my mind's not going to think on things that are negative and unholy and depressing. And I'm not going to feed it with the news all day long. I'm not going to feed it with gossip. I'm going to think on things that are lovely and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. I'm going to think about the peace of God being on my mind. God, I'm giving you my ears today to be sensitive to your voice. I give you my mouth today. And I'm not going to try, to, I'm going to try not to speak the negative things that are just natural to me, Lord. But every word that comes out of my mouth bless people today. Lord, I give you my hands. Lord, use me to serve. Do good deeds and help those who you want me to serve. You following me? Just give it all. Lord, I give you my feet. I have a schedule. I have things planned. Sure. But that's all subject to you. Change my schedule if you want. Jesus, I'm dying to myself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. Now, I'm encouraging you all to do that. Just take three or five minutes. It doesn't take long. Where you stop and pray and just say, Lord, you can have all of me. And you die to yourself. Second one, that is you die to your flesh. Now, our flesh means kind of the natural part of you, the part that goes against the deeper parts of you that want to live holy and righteous lives. So it's where you're prone to kind of have lust or greed or pride, as those kind of things. Watch what the Bible says, Galatians 5.17. It says, for the flesh, the party that's against what God wants to do, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is, what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. In other words, it's kind of like that old cartoon cliche where you have a little angel on one shoulder, little demon on the other shoulder. You kind of feel this tug of war of your flesh. But you need to understand that little demon on your shoulder is the one that's keeping you from the life you always want. So what do we do about it? Look at this, Galatians 5.24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. Okay, so if prayer is a way to die to self, how do we die to our flesh? I would say it's worship. Worship. Worship elevates God and lowers me. 
And I can't, I don't, I can't even explain it. I wish I could explain it better. Worship will kind of calm the savage beast on the inside of you. Right? It'll just bring peace, the peace of God into your soul. And so for just five minutes, I'm asking you to turn on a worship song and just say, God, submit my flesh, every part of me. Right? Every wrong desire, I submit to you, Lord God. And make it all about the Lord and worship the Lord. Every day you die to yourself through prayer and then worship. I can be kind of a worked up dude. Uh, I mean, I know that probably doesn't surprise you, but I can get in my head and kind of fixate on problems and issues and negative stuff. But when I get into worship, it brings peace into my soul. Maybe some of you need that. It'd be good if you stop in the morning and just let your soul be at rest. When you make space for the Lord, He will fill it. I believe that with all my heart. So when we, so we need to make space in our life and in our soul for Him. And I'll tell you, you have to be careful because it is easy to give away your peace later, right? I can be driving down the road worshiping. Shout to the Lord. I mean, having a good time. Then someone cuts me off. I'm not shouting to the Lord anymore. <laughs> I'm shouting at that jerk. Well, apparently, it's like this is his first day on earth because he has no idea how a car or general traffic driving works. I had an upper roomer mess with me month, once. Uh, he knew it was me in front of me, so he started tailing me and like pretending like he was going to pass me and stuff. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't do anything regretful at the time. I mean, I did kick him out of the church later, but he's at another church now. But anyway, here's the thing. I'm trying to help you live. Some of you are worked up. Some of you are mad at the news, mad at your boss, mad at your family. All you see is the negative around you. You better die. You better kill that flesh. If you don't kill a flesh, it will kill you. We die to ourselves in prayer. We die to our flesh in worship. Then number three, we also die to the world. And you better decide how much of the world you're going to allow in your life. I'm going to be really straight with you. Some of you have way too much world in your life. You're not going to be able to have the amount of the world in you and have the life of God in you too. Can you be more specific, Chris? Nope. I'm not going to. Because you have the Holy Spirit who has been convicting you for a long time. Don't listen to me, listen to Him. So how do you die to the world? In my opinion, you die to the world by elevating the Word of God. Paul says in Galatians 6, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. How do we do that? Jesus taught us in the final prayer he prayed in the garden in John 17. He said this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. 
So here's what I'm encouraging you to try. Five minutes in prayer, dying to self. Five minutes in worship, dying to, dying to the flesh, getting peace in your soul. And five minutes in the Word, where you separate yourself from the thinking of this world. You let, your, you let the Word renew your mind. Try it this week. Give it 15 minutes for, for a week, seven days. How else are you going to know if this is true or not? How else are you going to know if dying to yourself and your flesh and the world leads to life until you try it? But maybe those first 15 minutes can be a test case to see if it happens. Why wouldn't you try it? You know, at the center of Easter is this paradox of victory through absurd, absurd defeat. Right? Jesus was bound so that we can be set free. He remained silent before his accusers to give bold voices to people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. His body was brutally whipped, beaten, and pierced so our bodies may receive healing and ultimately life. Philippians 2, 8 through, 10, through 11 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to pray for the church. Help us to really live. Lord, I'm just asking you to give us the courage to take steps to see some real change in our life so that we can experience the life you've always intended. Could the ministry team kind of make their way forward? I just want to give everybody an opportunity that if you're not a Christian, you want to become one, you want to join in a number of people who've given their life to Jesus, this Easter Sunday, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you say, what do I have to do? You're one heartfelt prayer away. That's it, one heartfelt prayer. If that's you, you want to give your life to God, pray this along with me there in your seat. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying for my sin. I receive what you did and ask you to forgive me. I ask you to change me, be the Lord of my life. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again. And today I surrender all, every part of me to you. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray, amen. Amen and amen.